What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Big Bang Wrestling. I'm your host, Marcus. And I'm Nick. All right, and today we are joined by the world's most extreme referee, now the ECW original, Jim Molyneux, joined by him today on Big Bang Wrestling. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Doing pretty well. We're doing great. Thank you for coming on the show with us and talking about your career and other projects you may have have going on in the future. Absolutely. Love to do it. Let's get started. All right, so like – Started at the beginning, like what made you decide to that you wanted to become a referee in ECW? Like, how did that come about? Well, yeah, well, it all started. I, I, I did. I always wanted as as a kid wanted to be part of this of some sort of spotlight, whether it was mm-hmm. acting or music or, or sports or whatever. And I wasn't a great um, actor. I <laughs> did acting that got me as far as like a lead. Um, in a in a drama in high school where I wasn't even the lead; it was the second male lead, as a matter of fact. But uh, did some some acting in in high school. Um, it was not; I did not go to college, so I, there was no acting in college. Um, played in in garage bands, but you know, like now I wouldn't even play in my own garage. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I, I've forgotten more than I ever learned. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's that bad. Um, and, and I was never a great athlete. My, my sport was hockey and I was a pretty decent goalie. Um, but at, at the time, uh, there was no real system unless you went to college right. um, in the U.S. Um, so that, that was an out. Uh, so um, I had become a fan of wrestling, uh, joined the wrestling fan club and, and thought and uh went to the NWA matches in Philly, never really went to the WWE matches or or WWF at the time. Um, And I grew up in the Philadelphia area. So I grew up in a WWF uh, era. Um, And and once the NWA came around with, with cable television, I was, I was hooked on the NWA and started going to shows. And like I said, was joined a fan club that was run by Joel Goodhart who later started Tri-State Wrestling. In the meantime, I said, "Ah, let me see if I can get into wrestling somehow. And I tried being a manager. And I went, I did a couple things, uh, real out of the way, remote things as a manager. And um, got a hold of Goodhart and said, hey, you know, I want to come in, work as a manager if you could use me. He's like, "Ah, I really don't need a manager, but I could use another referee and Mm-hmm. And he, he kind of sold me on the idea of a referee. He'd use me on yeah. every show. And, right. Um, I, he guaranteed I would make back in a year uh, what I put into paying for the school, which actually did happen. I don't know how often that happens in wrestling yeah, at, all, at all. <laughs> um, but, but that did happen. Um, so we talked about it for a while. And he said, well, call me back in, in a couple of days. And I, I called him back 10 minutes later and said, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I'll see you next Tuesday at the school. And, and that was how I got in. Uh, Tri-State closed down and was backed by Todd Gordon mm-hmm. uh, somewhat uh, financially. And Todd let everyone know that was part of Tri-State that, hey, we're going to try something new. Give us a couple months to put things together and next week with it. And I was there from day one of ECW. So – was there a particular moment, you know, as a fan of watching wrestling, something she saw that made you say that, okay, this is what I want to do. 
yeah, this this is the what I want to do for a living. Um, I don't know if it was just one particular moment, but um, what real like I said, what I really wanted to be when I first started was a manager. So it was mm-hmm. guys like like Bobby Heenan and right. and Jim Cornette that got me interested in being a manager. And from there, it turned into well, you know, there there were so many people working you know, and not as wrestlers or managers and, and there weren't a lot of people going into refereeing. Right. Um, so I was like, well, let's, let's give that a try. Mm. And, and I, nothing against managers or valets and everything, but I, I just felt like, um, I had more of a role with, mm. um, being a referee, being involved in the matches. Um, and I was involved with, you know, as, as a referee or involved with more matches, right. Then you would be a manager, you know, as a manager, you might have one, maybe two matches in, in a show. Um, you know, when you're working, some of the indie shows had, you know, 10, 12 matches on them and, and yeah. you're, you're working, you know, four or five of them. Right. So you got, you got more involved. So uh, that was kind of the turning point for me. That's, that's what really opened the door for me was managing. Um, but the realization of, you know, what could be and how far I could go um, right. turned me in the direction of being a referee. Right, because, yes, being the third man in some big moments and some right. well-remembered matches, you know. <laughs> so, like, how was the schooling? You said you had to go to school to you know, be a referee and everything. How was the schooling? What was that like? Uh, the school was called Ringmasters. It was in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in the basement of a um, of a bowling alley, which actually was it was it was a gym. It was a gym in the basement of a bowling alley. We had the back uh, corner of the gym. Nice. Uh, okay. They, they, they put up they put up tarps. Yeah, they, like, to to block it yeah, off. They don't want to see y'all. You have the back corner. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you'd be going over a match and hear hear the ball going down the alley and the pins break. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a riot. people to stop bowling up there. <laughs> yeah. But no, I really for training. I, I just they just kind of threw you in the ring, and while the guys are are learning themselves wrestling, you know the right moves and everything, and how to do them, and how not to get hurt, and this and that, you know whatever it takes. You're in there counting one, two, three, or telling them to get off the ropes, and you're also at the same time you're learning. I had John Finnegan was the guy who trained me, who, who I worked with in ECW the whole time, mm-hmm. um, you know, he would stand on the outside and say, stay to the corner. Uh, okay. You can, you can get in closer now to talk to them, um, back them off, you know, and, and things like, you know, he would, he would give you the instructions from the outside of the ring. Okay. So I noticed like a lot of the referees, you know, like especially on TV today, a lot of them have the like earpieces, Right. And while they're referring a match in ECW, y'all didn't exact that or even in Tri-State, y'all didn't even have those. Yeah, no, we didn't. Nobody used them at and at the time in Tri-State, at the time of Tri-State. I don't think anybody used them. Uh, any of the people, any of the companies on TV. Um, and even ECW, we never used them until we were doing the pay-per-views with right. WWE. Oh. Um, and, and even then. 
it was for me, it was difficult to hear. I don't know if I have a, a partial hearing loss or not, but I had trouble hearing what they were saying. It sounded very, very grab, uh, gravelly and, and, and right, really rough, to, rough to, yeah, really rough to hear. Huh. Um, but with, with, so back to ECW, we would get our um, time signals from the timekeeper. Right. Right. Who may, on, if we were doing, pay-per-views would have a headset somebody telling him five minutes gone by or 10 minutes gone where you know or tell him tell him it's time to wrap it up and we would get our signals from from the timekeeper's table okay. and when it wasn't a, when it wasn't a pay-per-view and it was tv or if it was just a regular house show we would still get our time signals from the timekeeper he would keep the time himself and let us know how, you know, yeah. we had different, you know, every, every company has different signals. Um, so we would look, you know, keep an eye on the timekeeper and get signals from him and pass it on to, to the guys. Right. I heard like from some of the territories, like some of the guys would say, I've heard that like the booker would be standing where nobody else, but the wrestlers could see him and he'd give signals and stuff. And yeah, sometimes I, I remember one time um, Todd Gordon, was wasn't the one who was supposed to be giving the signals, but he was on on a stage. I think it was the Chestnut Cabaret was the name of the place. <laughs> I might be wrong, but uh, I, that is a place we did run Chestnut Cabaret in Philadelphia. That's a hell of a name. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was it was a rock venue. Okay, uh, um, rock and folk venue, very famous. Um, if if you look back at the history of it. Philadelphia is famous for a lot of music, and, right. and that's the kind of place that before they became popular, Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel would play. Oh, okay. So, um, so anyway, Todd is on the stage, okay. and the signal to go home is is a tug on his tie, and okay. I, I acknowledge. Okay, I saw it, and no, they're they're not going home. <laughs> they're not finishing the match, <laughs> and it looked almost <laughs> like he was hanging himself. Like he was choking himself. He's he was tugging on the tie so hard. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, every, every company has different different signals. Um, ours usually was a pen in the mouth. Okay, timekeeper oh, sitting with a pen or pencil in the mouth. Oh, okay. How many times did you almost see somebody like almost bite the pen in half? Being <laughs> <laughs> uh, not not that many. No, we, our, most of the, most of the time our guys were pretty good with with their times. Oh, so like. You reffed in Tri-State. That was more of the traditional style mm -hmm. of wrestling. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Joel was a, a fan of, of Memphis style, um, yeah. NWA style. Joel did some ring announcing for the NWA when they came to Philadelphia. Um, so, yeah, it was more of that, that kind of a style. And, and what we did with Tri-State, we used our local guys for, for all the house shows. Um, and, and when I say house shows, the – the high schools and, and rec mm -hmm. centers, things like that. Right. And, and three or four times a year, he would put on a, a show at a big hall um, at the Philadelphia Civic Center, not the actual Civic Center itself, but there was a hall that he would use. And right. he would load it with, with named talent. Um, and, but then back to the, the rec centers and the high schools, there would be two or three names that he would bring in that had just left WWE or, or left WCW or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but the bigger shows, he would bring in more names and all of the, the uh, local guys would be used in 
in like different battle royals or, or our title sh- our title matches would be on the show. No, Todd Gordon came in and that at not too long after that, and I guess it became it was originally what was it um, Eastern Championship Wrestling, right? Uh, so how did that come about? Was you know Todd coming in and everything? Well, Todd had the the finances to to start a company mm-hmm. um, and had been in contact with everyone in one form or another, um, whether it was him or, or the guy who um, was our, was the booker when we first started Larry winners um, mm-hmm. or, or um, Bob Artis was, who was the ring announcer for ECW uh, right. was very involved too. So we'd hear from someone through the, the pipeline, what's going on. Um, and, and they let us know when the first show was and, and we kind of went from there. There was, there wasn't a meeting, um, before any shows. It was just, Hey, here's our first show. You're, you're on it. Um, and and that, that was really how it went. And that was how it started for, for me. There was just kind of word of mouth through there about that. Yeah. Because there was, there was absolutely no internet. Yeah. Um, there were there were barely answering machines. Right, you couldn't text each other or anything like right. that. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah, that, that was that was the it was a phone chain, basically, that to you know uh, get the word out. Right. Okay. So, when what made I guess it was Todd Gordon who was still in charge. What made him decide to go to the more like extreme route? rather than uh, stick with Eastern Championship Wrestling? Well, I, I think the first step really was um, Eddie Gilbert. It, it, it brought Eddie Gilbert in as the booker for when we got television. Okay. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't as extreme um, as it became. And I really kind of say that, hate that, because I don't think – the company was extreme as everybody says, but right. we'll, we'll just use the word. Um, but with, with Eastern, with, with Eddie, you know, we were bringing in Kevin Sullivan and Terry mm-hmm. Funk and Abdul the butcher and some of the guys from Puerto Rico. Right. Um, so, I mean, that was, there were some, some crazy stuff then, yeah, especially the Puerto Rican um, guys, those guys were wild. right. And, and also <laughs> look at even go back, go, yeah, go back to tri-state where um, Joel used Eddie Gilbert on a lot of the, the bigger house shows and had an incredible feud uh, over those shows with, with Cactus Jack, mm-hmm. Mick Foley. And, and you go back and look at those, they're pretty wild. There's a barbed wire match where, where Cactus oh, get, does the, does the over top of the rope, you know, spin and gets his head caught oh. in, the, in the, in the ropes, but this time it's just barbed wire. Oh, and nice. there was one night where they, there was one night where they had two out of three matches. Yeah. So one was pins count anywhere in the building was the stretcher match. And the final one was a cage match. And, and the cage match ended up involving Bam Bam Bigelow and Doug Gilbert. Right. Um, so you look at the, the Memphis style, they were kind of pretty extreme without the word being a buzz yet. Right. Um, right. You know, so we, we were we were headed in that direction when mm-hmm. Paul took over from Eddie, and and Paul kept the Eastern name for a while, but we started expanding, getting into different areas where we weren't in the East, and it was time to make a change of name and extreme, keeping in in sequence with the ECW, right. 
No. Um, the extreme was a, was a buzzword at the time. So, you know, that that's where it became extreme. But I don't think we really jumped up mm-hmm. um, to an extreme level or, or to a, a more intense level of, um, I don't know, what, what do you want to call it? Hardcore. Um you know, until later down the line. And, and again, not everybody did it. Right. I mean, it, the show was extreme because we had extreme hardcore. We had extreme luchadors. We yeah. had extreme technical wrestlers, mm-hmm. you know, so the extreme fit anywhere in, in the description of the match right. or the matchups. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned the Memphis thing because, um, and I've told people this before, go back and watch old Jerry Lawler. He was fighting and brawling all over the place. Sure. Jerry Lawler was, you know, they were, they were throwing fire. Yeah. They had the, yeah. You know, there, there's the, the famous, um, the fire Tupelo, the famous Tupelo concession yeah. stand match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, you know, that's where a lot of it came from, mm-hmm. um, in the beginning. Uh, and it's funny that, you know, I consider Memphis kind of the start of that for, for ECW. Right. And, and Lawler came in to, to bash ECW, you know, extremely crappy wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, at, at, you know, later down the line. Yeah, I heard him call it, no, call it that more than a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> So, what exactly, like, you know, speaking of Jerry Lawler calling it that, what made people have that consensus that, like, it was mainly, like, your misfits and guys who couldn't wrestle, really, what, like, that consensus was those guys went to ECW. Why was that? Well, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, WWE management didn't, there were guys that they didn't want. Um, WCW management, there were guys that they didn't want. Um, we also weren't, not everyone was the standard wrestler that, you know, blonde hair, six foot five, six foot six, Mm -hmm. 230 pounds. There were a lot of smaller guys. There were a lot of guys who were really fat and out of, you know, considered out of shape, but can do incredible things. But they didn't have that, that, television look um that a lot of you know that that companies wanted i i don't think i had the look as a referee if you look at the referees i don't think i have had the look as a referee fat and bald guy you know um where they really weren't you know they were they were and if they were they were they had been there for a long time and they were starting to weed them out yeah so I know, like, you know, people would say that about ECW, and then a lot of guys would go from ECW to WWE. Sure, um, but a lot of those guys had pending contracts. I guess maybe is the right term. Right. Um, you know, you look at guys like um, Steve Austin, who right. didn't yeah. have an offer from WWE, but they were sure looking at him. And the yeah. only way to look at him was to have him work ECW because he'd already been fired by WCW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the same with, I think with maybe some of the guys who um, had made a name for themselves in Japan um, came over and went to ECW where they could get looked at by WCW or WWE. 
Blanco's, Guerrero's, Jericho, you know, all those guys who came through there. And you also had the guys who had had worked for both companies and for one Mm -hmm. reason or another were were out, were considered, I don't know if they were considered misfits, but, you know, they'd worked there and, and, you know, maybe didn't play well with others, if if you want to use that term. (laughs) So and now and you were talking about the guys coming from Japan and, and you know and one thing that ECW is really known for is kind of introducing you know some of the the gaijin like Guerrero and Benoit and like that and also some of the uh, the luchadors also right absolutely and, then, and um and I I know you got to ref some of those matches but uh, what were some of your favorite matches to ref from those guys. Uh, well, definitely Marlenko Guerrero, right at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys were so in sync with each other. Right. And once, once as a referee, you get in sync with two guys mm-hmm. uh, for a match, and it just flows so easily. And, and John and I both did their matches. And mm-hmm. just, you know, they were so easy to work and, and fun to be a part of. Um, with with the Luch doors, you know the the Rey Mysterio um, psychosis matches um, that we had that we had. There were I think there were two of them at the arena. Right. I know one was two out of three falls. I think that I did and that. The other one, what was it? The um, what was like the Mexican death match or something like that? Yeah, I think I think that was the first time that they mm-hmm. came in, and then we did the two out of three falls. Um, right. You know those guys were were great to work with too. Um, hard to keep up with at times. Um, same, same with Malenko and Guerrero. I mean, you know, some of the guys worked so fast, they were, they were difficult to keep up with a little bit. Right. Um, Especially a young Ray. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's a style that, that mm-hmm. as a referee, you're not used to either. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, no, those, those guys were, were all great to work with. So he asked what your favorite match to like, you no, know, your favorite one that you roughed was. I got to ask, what was one match that couldn't have been over soon enough that you had roughed? <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. You know, I don't think there is one. I really don't. I, I don't think um, there were any matches where, um, if this is where you're going with the question, uh, where I, I felt I was in any kind of danger <laughs> or, or that, it, that it got out of hand um, or anything like that. No, I, I always felt that, that I was safe in the ring, um, okay. that I was, you know, considered part of the, the in-ring group. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we just watched a... Uh... Ever watched that Dark Side of the Rain series? Yeah. We just watched the one, Nick, I was, was a couple of days ago. We watched the one with um, yeah. New Jack. New Jack. Yeah, because you hadn't seen that. And I was, yeah, and I'd shown that to you because I was telling you how, <laughs> how crazy I plead, some of that I, was. I plead the fifth on anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was, was going to ask you how it was working with him. <laughs> Never had any problem with New Jack. Not a problem. Um, he was always. He, I think he always had, almost like he had a third eye in the back of his head, knowing where, where what was going on behind him. Oh, wow. um, so the, the referee knew where the referee was. And, right. and I was, and I knew where he was going with stuff and I knew where to get out of the way. Just stay um, clear. <laughs> yeah, the only time you were, you weren't sure was any kind of rebound 
from from any object that may have shattered or, <laughs> or fallen apart. You know, you don't know where it's going to fly off to. Yeah, because um, he used to like to toss that trash can full of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's very very easy to spot a trash can being thrown into the ring. So yeah. I was able to get out of the way. It's it's the components that are inside that trash right, can. Right, all the stuff. <laughs> so even CW had said, you know, the same thing that that documentary said. It was like New Jack was a pretty chill guy mm-hmm. until you pissed him off. Yeah, and I never pissed him off. I was smart enough to do that. <laughs> crazy? I want to piss somebody off? Not just him. Are you going to piss anybody off? No, I'm not going to right. piss yeah. <laughs> But, uh, well, while we're, you know, talking about the subject of some of these matches, and uh, just one thing that um, the Terry Funk Sabu barbed wire match. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, now, were, were you the ref in that one? I can't remember. I was not. Pee Wee Moore was the referee Pee-wee, of that. Okay. Um, I think that that might be the only barbed wire match we did that ECW did that I did not referee. I'm pretty sure I did all of the others. Pee Wee may have done one or, or two. Right. Um, John was not a fan of them, mm-hmm. so he didn't do them, and I was okay with it. I you know, I, I wore long sleeves and gloves. Right. Um, and I, I, Mike here may have done one or two toward the end of the. Uh, we really, I don't think we really did any towards the end of ECW. I think that was the last one. Yeah, I think that was the last one because I think of just because of how how it ended. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. I, but I did. I was part of it. I did come down and cut them. Try to cut them apart. Yeah, yeah. When they were just a ball of, yeah. of right. human and barbed wire. <laughs> And I, I guess the story I heard is that at one point, I guess when they were get they, you know, everybody was cutting the barbed wire off of them. I guess from what I understand, some of it got actually wrapped around Terry's throat, and he yeah. actually couldn't breathe for a little bit. Wow! Right? Yeah. It's it. It was it was crazy. I mean, it, things can get out of control, and and the only times that really anything kind of got out of control in ECW was. Mm-hmm was when you were working with inanimate objects. Right. Um, the guys were fine with each other uh, 99% of the time, I would, I would say. Um, but, yeah, any time you had an inanimate object, that they don't cooperate very well sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, don't, they don't work. <laughs> you know, tables don't want to break all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, or the or the right table doesn't want to break, or, or right. um, a, a chair will get broken and it'll crease. And it'll mm-hmm. cut somebody pretty dangerously. Yeah. yeah. So you were mentioning like you no know, tor- you know, things towards the end of ECW. I know, like towards the end, that's when they had that WWF invasion angle, wasn't it? I don't think it was quite toward the end. I mean, depends on on what you consider the length of time, the end of ECW, but. Um, yeah, they we did the invade. They or they did the invasion with, um, with really it was uh, Rob Van Dam kind. They they set it up so that Rob was more interested in being in WWF, mm-hmm. and he was carrying a WWF flag and would put it over someone when he defeated them. And so Fonzie was his manager, um, and you know sometimes they would have other people from WWF involved. We had we mentioned. Um, uh, Jerry Lawler, and um, Jim Cornette came in. Um, then, then there were the occasional fringe um, WWE guys who were, were under contract but not being used that that 
you know, Paul would, would like to use because they would, you know, bring people into the house, into the shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like during that time, like what was your thoughts on them doing like the business with WWF and I guess really working with them more? I had no problem with it because in the long run, it brought more attention to ECW and, and helped us along. Um, it got us into more markets. Uh, once we got into those markets, you know, the, the houses, you know, would, would grow, would do pretty well. Um, some of the places we only went to maybe one or two times, but, you know, we, it, you know, you had to go and test the waters. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now... Like when I think it was like what 2006 when WWE tried to like I guess revive the ECW brand, but as a more like di- like Justin said, a more Disney-fied version. The Disney ECW. <laughs> Disney, yeah, Disney ECW. Like, did you work with them on that at all, or were you involved I, with that? Um, well, bef- just before that, they did the two one-night stands. Yeah, yeah. So we did the one the year before. In the second year, um, we knew about the the start restart of the company on Sci-Fi. Yeah, um, and I was a part of that. Um, not everybody had a contract. Not everybody was offered a contract. Um, I stuck around. I did the that second pay per view, and mm-hmm. I did two weeks worth of television um, before I thought to myself, "They're not going to offer me anything." Um, I'm paying for my own travel expenses. I make enough money with um, what I do outside of wrestling um, that I didn't need this. And I could still do, I was, I was working. Um, I was training guys at, at a school at the time, also on the side. So I was like, you know what? My hand's still in it doing this uh, training. Um, so I'm just going to walk away from it. And, like I said, I did the first two weeks of TV and, and didn't go back. I and I don't think they – and they didn't come looking for me either. <laughs> right. Yeah, that seems to be the case with a lot of the original ECW guys. They worked yeah. there for a little right. bit, and then it was right. just Right, a lot of, of them who did have contracts ended up going down to Ohio Valley mm-hmm. or, or I guess Deep South was still running. I don't know if any of them went there or not. Um or they were just plain old let go after a while. Right. So I know CW, I think he got let go. And then Justin, he said he was losing yeah, money on it every week and he quit. And he yeah. just walked away. Yeah. And- yeah. And that's what he said. He had a regular spot, but he was losing money even though he had a regular spot there. Right. I mean, the the story I was told from from day one to um, I guess maybe the first week of TV um, changed four or five times mm-hmm. as to what what they wanted from me. And, um, you know, it started at we want you, we want you to every show, uh, turned into we want you to, we want you, but um, just the shows that you can get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it was we'll let you know, you know, finally came down to we'll call you when we need right. you. <laughs> And, yeah. you know, and I, and I, I told, um, someone, I'm not going to say who I'm not going to be a name dropper, but I just said, <laughs> don't bother. Right. Um, and that, and surprisingly that was the week before the two Philadelphia shows, there was a show 
there was a house show at the ECW arena. Mm-hmm. And then there was a TV taping at the Wells Fargo Center. Right. Oh. Um, and I didn't go to either one of them. And I've never been uh, since ECW, never been one to go to shows to look for work. Right. Uh, if, if they want me, they'll they'll ask me. Um, TNA ran a pay-per-view in Trenton, New Jersey mm-hmm. uh, one time. And I went and I was there at like two o'clock in the afternoon and went around and said hello to guys and just bullshit it with guys. And, you know, had mm-hmm. talked with, you know, hung out with guys that I knew. And I think by five o'clock I left. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, and somebody called me and said, hey, where are you? And I said, I'm. I left. Uh, it was time to go. You guys are getting ready to go to work. And, and they're like, well, you could have stuck around for the show. And I was like, no, that's okay. And I didn't need to. Right. So, you know, I, and I, like I said, I've, I've never been one to go to a show and hang out and, you know, ask, you know, hope for, hope yeah. for work. Yeah. Just be a, be a hanger on like that. Cause right. some of those guys, I know some of them did do that. And, yeah, I don't. I don't know if a lot of ECW guys did that, but there's a. There were a lot of independent yeah. guys, and there still are a lot of independent guys who do that. And I, yeah. eh, I just don't need it that bad. Right. I, I've been there, so I don't need to go back to it. Mm-hmm. Not that I would turn anything down. You no, know, I might turn things down. They come my way. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, oh, go ahead, Nick. What? Um, one of one of my favorite feuds ever, and I think it's one that a lot of people probably don't know about and i don't know if it's just because it happened in ecw or if it's the guys involved but was mike awesome and masato tanaka so what (laughs) and that was some wild stuff what was it you know what was that like being the third man just seeing that that carnage happen there there was i think those matches with those two guys and and there were some with other people in there so you can throw a third man in too um, I think those were the matches I asked, are you okay? More than anyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, going through the tables over the top rope, yeah. the, the, you know, the, the awesome slammer or the awesome that's bomb. what it was called. Awesome bombs. And the chair shots um, off all, the top rope. The, and then the chair shot. Oh my God. The chair shot, especially at the one night stand mm-hmm. um, yeah. against each other. It's like, wow. Um, but yeah, those, those are, you know, you asked earlier about whether I felt safe, and I, like I said, I always did. But mm-hmm. man, I always felt like, wow, he need to get some medical help ready <laughs> for these guys. Well, you know, there needs to be medics waiting. Well, and and a guy like Tanaka coming from FMW, when he's he's walking to the ring, he's already scarred up, and you know everything else yeah. taped up, bandaged up before the match even started yeah and and after the matches they were both fine most of the time mike had more problems with his knees than anything i think he had maybe five or six uh knee acl and eight you know mcl um uh, operations on his knees Mm -hmm. over the years Mm -hmm. wow so like during your time in ecw like who were some of your favorite guys to work with um, well, you mentioned him, PJ, just incredible. Yeah. Love yeah. working with him. We, mm-hmm. we know, again, it's that, that sync between a wrestler and, and a referee. 
we were right on with each other. Right. Um, and also, so that includes his opponents and his partners too. So um, guys like Jerry Lynn, they had great matches against each yeah. other. Uh, when he teamed up with Lance Storm, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. worked well with, with Lance. Um, you know, Chris Candido, Bam Bam Bigelow, Shane Douglas, the entire triple threat. We all worked together well. Um, you know, you really can't name just one or two because the referees, we worked with the, with the guys so much that we were able to sync with them so well that we made it, made it smooth for, for the, for the wrestlers. They didn't have to worry about it. I think, I think that on the independent circuits now, they, a lot of wrestlers probably worry about their referee, mm-hmm. um, because yeah. not because they don't have experience, but they don't have experience with them. Right. You know, they yeah. don't work with them as much as we would. Mm-hmm. Uh, you speaking of Shane Douglas. Um, yeah. How about when he threw the NWA belt down, you know, <laughs> You know, right. You know, that was such, I guess that, you know, out of the blue, because nobody knew that was going to happen. He just, <laughs> it almost like he just did it on his own. I mean, was that just on his own or was it? No, I, I mean, I or? didn't know about it. I think a very limited amount of people knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was shocking to, yeah. I think the fans more than anyone in the locker room, I think in the locker room, you know, we, had gotten to the point where anything could happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, no, I, and I think um, a lot of the guys, I shouldn't say a lot of guys, but a fair amount of the guys had worked uh, the TV tapings that um, they tried to do Mm -hmm. to rebuild the NWA. And um, I I don't know if they had a bad taste in their mouth about them or they just didn't feel like they weren't going to work or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that they kind of went with it too. And I think they saw the direction that, that Paul had for, for ECW. He knew that, you know, they knew that um, he was expanding and, and we were going to, to new places and, and saw the direction and, and the idea and bought into the, 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 the Heyman Kool-Aid, if, if you want to consider it that, you know, what we're talking about at the time, you know, what it actually became. <laughs> Well, because that was also the first time it was referred to as um, extreme championship wrestling, wasn't it? Right, right. So he had it in his head. Um, I don't know if he knew that's when he was going to pull the trigger and Mm -hmm. change the name and, and, you know, skyrocket us off into a different direction. But it it was a perfect launch point for it. Yeah. So, like, another guy I wanted to ask you about was Sandman. Like, how was he to work with? Um, if Sandman had a few in them, you were safe. You were safe in the ring. God forbid he's sober. Oh shit! That's when he was. That's when he was dangerous. When he was sober. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, no, he was. He was fine to work. Like I, like I said, I never had any problem, or at least I didn't know of any problem I had with mm-hmm. with guys. Um. So, and I knew Sandman from from the tri-state wrestling days. Yeah. He was one of our, you know, original guys mm-hmm. um, stuck around for, you know, I mean, he went to WCW for, for a little bit, but he, he was one of the guys, he was probably the next person that stuck around the longest right? Uh, without disappearing. He disappeared that, yeah. that one little bit. Um, but after that, um, myself and John Finnegan are the only guys who were there the, the entire run wow. okay. of ECW. Wow. 
Well, didn't Sandman help build some of the gimmicks and stuff that were in? Yeah, the- yeah. <laughs> he, he actually um, had worked in construction. So um, that the scaffold that you saw for the the uh, Brian Lee uh, Tommy Dreamer Tommy match, Dreamer, I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I think he built that. Wow, um, I don't okay. know if he built anything else or not, um, but I know he was part of the the construction or the idea of that. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that match. That was one of the matches I did watch. That scaffold match. What gave them the idea? To stack three tables up on top of each other. It's a braking system. (laughs) If you're if you're like if you're a truck driver and you know and you see the you you gear down downhill. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's that's the same idea. It's like Um, your engine brake. (laughs) Right. If if you go back further in in ECW history, there's a um, there's a scaffold match between JT Smith and. the dark patriot and jt smith gets tossed off off of the the scaffold and i think he goes down to the floor oh that's what but he's but he's standing on the scaffold as opposed to remember the scaffold match with uh the road warriors the midnight express the -hmm. guys fell from underneath right from the wrong dropping quite as far they still dropped you know obviously look at look at jim Cornette. he, he gets hurt um, dropping, um, but you know, to take a kind of like a almost like a, a Mick Foley off the top of the cage, yeah, just um, tossed, bump, <laughs> on, you know, onto the the concrete floor. Yeah, that's and funny. it was a concrete floor there. Um, so yeah, I, you mm-hmm. catch. I don't know. I I don't know what's going on with Peacock and what's on Peacock uh, and what's not. He's um, getting erased pretty that's much. A, yeah, that's pretty, pretty much erased. So, uh, so you know, you might be able to find it there. Who knows? You might be able to find it somewhere on on um, on the internet somehow. Who was the guy that New Jack tra- tossed off the scaffold and tried to throw and tried to throw him on the floor? Uh, Vic Grimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's who it was. Like... That was at. Um, I know it was the the, the college in 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 Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And it was a pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, I forget which one, the, whatever the March pay-per-view is called. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just draw a blank with name. Um, <laughs> I should actually, I, I've got my passes over the, hanging up over there. I should grab <laughs> them and go through them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did that. I'm sure you were probably still, you know, you're, you're backstage. I don't think you were rough in that match, right? No, I was yeah. Like when y'all saw that, what was y'all's thoughts? Is like he just tried to kill that guy. <laughs> yeah, I was actually sitting. Um, they had bleachers mm-hmm. open um, backstage, and we were kind of off, like a, almost above the curtain, kind of peeking over. Okay, and yeah. saw when it happened. When it happened, I, I took off down down to the floor um, to the I guess you would call it the gorilla position at the yeah. time, you know, and be ready to to go out. In, in case yeah. you know it was needed, because that would be the first thing to do: send the referees out. Yeah, because yeah that was crazy. a pretty scary. That was a pretty yeah. scary moment there. And to think, the worst injury he got from that was what a broken ankle. I think is what they said. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, that what? fall just looked. Yeah, that looked rough. Yeah. And then, and then New Jack, you know, admitted, well, you know, he, I did it on purpose. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, what I was going to ask you, you know, you, you mentioned the Peacock, you know, how, how do you feel about that, them selling that, that to another company? And well, then it comes to find out a lot of that stuff's being, you know, edited, erased. And it's, it's their property. They can do with it whatever they want, unfortunately. Um, honestly, in my opinion, I, I would love to see um, someone offer them money for for some of the territorial stuff and, mm-hmm. and either do a separate network or, or right. sell DVDs or, or whatever, you know, I'd, I'd buy the DVDs oh, de- <laughs> for, definitely for, you know, old world class and, and smoking mid-south, and mid-south, all that stuff. That's the kind of stuff I was watching on the network. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as far as the Peacock, I think I, I, there's something wrong with the system with the Peacock, um, not just in the wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. There's somebody making decisions that are crazy. Yeah, uh, it's a little well, ridiculous. I, I tried I tried Peacock around Halloween mm-hmm. and I, I stuck with it. There was a free trial for like a week or so or whatever. And um, I watched it because they had all of the old universal horror yeah. movies from the 30s and the 40s, you know, the Draculas, and the, the original the Wolfman, and all, that. And all that kind of stuff, right? And so now when, when I went back and, and subscribed to the Peacock, my you know, my WWE subscription went over to the Peacock. Mm-hmm. I went to watch those movies, and they're not there. Huh. And huh. It, it's almost like they chose them as seasonal. Yeah, um, you know, but they're they're classic movies. Whether they're classic horror, yeah, they're, they're classic movies. People mm-hmm. want to watch those movies. Um, you know, when they're on stations like um, Turner Classic Movies right. or or AM, you know, I don't know, I guess AMC doesn't really show a lot of classic movies anymore, but. You know, those those channels would show them at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, the, what, you can only watch certain movies at certain times of the year. Yeah, like, you it, know, they're only going to have, you know, um, Miracle on Third. No, here's an example. If you go look at Disney, mm-hmm. um, yeah. they have the rights to the original Miracle on 34th yeah. Street. It's on all year mm-hmm. long. So why can't, why doesn't Peacock do the same with 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 mo- those movies, but yeah. but also a lot of the a lot of classic movies that they have the rights to um, through owner ownership of Universal, right? Not showing. And you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm an old movie fan. Uh, there, there was a movie that they had on at the Halloween time, The Man of a Thousand Faces. Mm-hmm. I it's, remember it's that. The, it's the it's a biography about Lon Chaney Senior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to watch it and it's not there. And I'm like, well, who did you wow. take it off? Because it's, you consider it a horror movie. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that is so there's somebody ridiculous. making, there's somebody making really bad decisions at the Peacock wrestling matches and stuff, but right there on an advertisement, right on social media is uh, a six part docuseries about John Wayne Gacy, but right. we have to, but we have to edit wrestling. Right. Yeah, they have all these, these serial killer serials and um, true story, and and you know they're showing all of their um, what do they call um, you know their their true true crime yeah. you know yeah. type stories and investigations and stuff like that, um, which are can pretty can be pretty intense. Mm-hmm. That if you're worried about a kid accidentally you know coming across it, um, if that's what you're worried about with with wrestling, then yeah. You're, you're crazy. I know when when the WWE Network had put up a a uh, a warning about a Mid South episode, and I was like, 
what could there be about a mid South episode that's so traumatic? Mm-hmm. Um, because this was a, a syndicated, you know, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, whatever time it was on in your local market in the South. Right. What can be so offensive? And I watched it, and the only thing I could figure was Bill Watts called Jim Cornette a sissy. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, that's, mm. you know, (laughs) and I think the warning was about language. Yeah. So, you know, I I don't know what they're looking at and and how they're going about it and how they're deciding who who not to offend, offend, you know, you can't offend anyone, so don't show any of it. Mm. Because somebody's going to be offended one way or another, yeah. no matter wrestling or not. Some television show is going to offend somebody. Yeah, Jim, uh, I understand you had some plugs you wanted to get in for some events you got coming up. Yeah, well, I, I had shut down. I didn't say I shut down. I, let, I, I sold the, the company that I had, old-time wrestling. And okay. when I thought, well, that was it. You know, that's the end of it. And I'm, I'm not going to be doing anything else. And the people that I sold the ring to offered me some work. <laughs> so I have some things coming up. Um, May the 1st, Saturday, May the 1st um, in Monroeville, New Jersey. And this will also be on um, the IWTV. Uh, ECWA is having their Super 8 tournament. Okay. Uh, if you don't know what the Super 8 is, it's an independent uh, company, ECWA, um, eight-man tournament. They, they've been doing it for the last 25 years. Oh, wow. And okay. some great people have come out of it. Um, and you know, guys like Brian Danielson and, and Jerry Lynn and, and Simon Diamond and all kinds of different people okay. were involved in this over the years. Um, so I, I got invited to come back into the ring and, and rep. So I'm going to go back and rep for the first time in seven years. Wow, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see again. That's that's ECWA May 1st at 7 p.m. Okay. Um, and like I said, you can see that on IWTV. And then locally here in New Jersey is a company called Dog, D-A-W-G. And mm-hmm. they are coming back after um, COVID for their first show uh, June the 26th at 7 p.m. at the Max Fit Sports Center in Uptown Glassboro, New Jersey. And right. for more information on Dog, it's, it's D-A-W-G. D-A-W-G, ProWrestling.com. And I am their um, matchmaking um, chairperson. So I'll be involved with it behind the scenes, and and I'll come out and get involved a little bit um, with the crowd, um, you know, in front of the crowd, too. Well, we'll we'll make sure when we post this, we'll post the link for that promotion. Mm -hmm. Because a dog, D-A-W-G, right? Yep, D A W G. I'll Double post the link for that. And ECWA, okay. they are uh, ECWAProWrestling.com. Gotcha. Um, but okay. a lot of people know ECWA over the years. They've, they've been in the business for almost 50 years, if, if not 50 wow. years. Okay. Didn't uh, TJP say when we interviewed him, he was involved in the Super 8? Or he I was involved so. in. He was involved in one of those tournaments like that. Yeah, I, I believe he was. And uh, you, know, it few could years be. Ago. They, yeah. yeah, they they use a lot of people. They they like I said, they've used a lot of people over the years. Low key, mm-hmm. uh, the people I had mentioned before. A lot of people have come through and, and used it as a, as a excuse me as a stepping stone, right, uh, to further their careers. So yeah, check it out. 
a lot of the top young talent, up and coming guys like right. that. Yeah. Right, right. Actually, you know, you, it's funny you said young talent, but also on the show is involved in the Super Eight is uh, Ricky Morton. Oh wow! Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's um, going to have a really good match. <laughs> yeah. Well, one announcement that I want to get out the way too is also going to be our next guest here on Big Bang Wrestling. Jim, I know you're probably familiar with them. Um, is the old uh, is the WWF tag team the Headbangers? On I, you know them. It was on May eighth. We'll be releasing our episode where we interview Mosh from the Headbangers. You know, we haven't really announced that yet, so I figured we'd go ahead and announce that we're on here. Get that out the way. No, Mosh, Mosh will be a good guest for you. I, I've known him since before he was WWE, before he was Mosh. Oh, okay. He was, he was a local guy here. Uh, they were they, uh, Him and his partner were the Spiders. Oh, really? Before oh, okay. they were, Yeah, before they were uh, the Headbangers. Oh, wow. Ooh. So I didn't know that. But, uh, Jim, thanks for coming on and sharing some of your stories and how you got into the business and uh, everything with us. We really enjoyed it. And I'm glad our internet actually cooperated with us today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am too. I'm glad we finally got it done. I yeah. Appreciate you, you know, being so easy to you know, work with and working with us and everything. Oh, no problem. Glad to do it. Yeah. Glad, glad to talk wrestling anytime. Yeah, third time's the charm, so we, well, we <laughs> got it. <laughs> but all right, guys, yeah, that wraps up our interview with Jim Molino, the world's most extreme referee. <laughs> yeah, he's got some events coming up in the New Jersey area, you know, May, so y'all be sure to check those out too. And I'll post the links for those promotions, mm -hmm. you know, along with this episode. So that way the information will be there for you. And again, I'm Marcus. And I'm Nick. I am Lee. Really